everyone, Kim here. Thank you for tuning in. This is part two of the interview with Nigel Beckles, specialist in abusive relationships, co-founder of Reflections on Abusive Relationships. If you didn't tune in last week for part one, go do it. He's got a lot to offer. He's an expert on abusive relationships and how to avoid those relationship mistakes, which we've all done. So this is part two, Nigel Beckles. This is your city. This is your city wants to know. We want to know the background, the heartbeat of what makes up our beautiful cities. We dig into the backstories from the struggles to the successes of our local entrepreneurs, small business owners, artists, not-for-profit organizations, and the many, many people who make up the intricate tapestry of our communities. Real people, real stories, by you and for you. But wait, that's not it. I love giving my opinion. Just ask anyone who knows me. We can't get enough of the honest, gritty feedback of places that we spend our hard-earned money. I'll give you the good, the bad, and the ugly of the places I eat, sleep, and visit. Disclaimer, my opinion, my opinion only. All right, so come on. Let's get to it. And, and there's quite, quite a few other good, really good websites you can get good information from. Well, you are a, a tool in, in the sense that some, sometimes we just don't know. You don't know if you don't know, right? Mm. You don't know sometimes that you're in these abusive relationships because it becomes, you ever hear of the boiling frog syndrome? Oh, that's my favorite analogy. Oh, yes. So, so that's sort of like that. You just find yourself in those relationships sometimes. And so that you are such a strong advocate and that you're continuously growing and learning so that you can help others. Because if you stay stagnant, you know, mm. people's situations are always evolving and are so different. If you stay stagnant, you can't be that strong force of an advocate without growing and learning. So I'm thankful for you because you've helped Thank many you. people. Mm. Um, I've listened to a lot of your stuff and your, your, your interviews and I've listened to you a lot of, a lot of the times and you really are in need. <laughs> I'm not just I'm not trying to like puff you up here Nigel I'm just saying what you do is necessary and you take it serious and I'm just grateful for that so you know you have been there for many many people I have a really tricky question for you right now so you you help us you tell us how to avoid these relationships you tell us how to get healthy boundaries how to develop more self-confidence you <sighs> What if we find it, what if we're the problem? How do, we, how do we find that out? How do we deal with that if we're the unhealthy partner? Well, I would say, well, in terms of being single, that's one, that is one of, your, one of your goals or should be in terms of unpacking your any issues that you may have. Because if you've been through two or three failed relationships or, or more, you've eventually got to get to the stage where you say, well, who is the common denominator in mm. those experiences? And it's obviously it's you or it's me. So therefore you have to then be honest with yourself. I mean, I know, I'm not sure what happens in Canada. I know in America, they're very big on therapy and therapists which I'm, 
a big advocate for um, because I am a certified relationship coach, but coaching is about setting goals for the future. A therapist is basically should be there to help you unpack issues from the past, you know, i.e. your emotional baggage of whatever type it, it may be. So it's really a question of being honest with yourself. But as I said earlier, many people don't want to do the self-reflection. They don't want to do that inner work. And it can be tough work. Don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not easy. You know, I've had to, had to do quite a lot of work for myself, you know, <laughs> on myself. You know, it's, 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 it's not easy, but it is necessary. Because otherwise, you, you, you know, it's quite likely you're going to go through the same type of relationship patterns over and over again. And nothing is going to, you know, nothing is going to improve. Now, it's not to say that um, some people have this idea that, you know, if you're not in a relationship, you're not a whole person, as it were. Oh, no. But at the end of the day, you've got to get to the point where, you know, this kind of attitude of, well, you know, my other half or my better half suggests that you're only 50% of a person. Well, you really need to be like, you know, 80, 90% of a person before you even consider getting into a relationship. Because otherwise you're just going to repeat, you're just going to repeat the same pattern. And the other thing I would say, whether consciously or unconsciously, a lot of people go into relationships for unpaid therapy because they haven't, they haven't worked out their stuff. They haven't worked it out. So they're expecting someone else to fix them. And it doesn't work like that. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just like, wow, this is really... Really Oh, yeah, I was, was, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's really it. I mean, people go into relationships sometimes hoping the other person's going to fix them and make things better. Well, the other person may not even be very unlikely to be equipped. If they're not a a trained therapist or not a trained counsellor, then they're not they're not equipped to deal with those issues the other person has. So again, then the person who's expecting to get fixed, they start to get frustrated and then they start Mm. pointing the finger and then it it just spirals downhill from there. Yeah, that's really good. You have to be at least 80 to 90% whole yourself before you even start going into a relationship because it's a spiral. So good, yeah. You're not 50-50, you're 100 and 100. Don't give 50%, give 100%. Mm. So in, the, in an ideal world, but again, you were saying earlier about um, my me being an advocate, but I look at things in terms of what uh, Albert Einstein said. And Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it properly. So I try, so even though it's, you know, it's quite a heavy subject relationships because you're dealing with psychology, you're dealing with science, etc. But the bottom line is, if you can't get the concepts over in layman's terms, if you can't communicate the information, it's a waste of time. Even when I wrote my first book, I made sure that I didn't use any long words because the book isn't about me impressing people with my vocabulary it's about putting across information 
right. useful information, hopefully. Yeah, that's perfect. Now, you are an expert in the field of narcissism and abusive mm. relationships. Narcissistics. Um, I read somewhere, this was a while ago, I read somewhere that maybe it's people are starting to become more aware or things are getting more diagnosed. I'm not sure, but the amount, like narcissistic personality traits are higher. I don't know if they're higher than they've ever been. Maybe we're just noticing. What is your, you're an expert on narcissism. So mm. what is your thought on that? Well, narcissism has always been around, obviously. Um, I should say there's such a thing as healthy narcissism. So there's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting nice clothes or having good self-esteem, self-confidence, etc. Um, it's when the narcissism is toxic or someone's diagnosed, which rarely happens with narcissistic personality disorder. So back to your question, is it more common now? I don't think so necessarily. However, there is an argument that since the advent of the internet, there has been research that suggests that um, narcissism has increased uh, since you know, we've got social media, you know, people posting selfies, etc., etc., seeking attention. So, in some ways, it has become more talked about. Um, what I've noticed is that a lot of people bandy around or throw around the word narcissist or narcissism, and they're not really don't really know what they're talking about. Because yes, someone might be arrogant, for example. They might have an arrogant attitude. They might be a bit of a control freak. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're a narcissist. Might give you a clue. Right. <laughs> Might give you a clue, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a narcissist. Because to be officially diagnosed as a narcissist, as I said, there are nine traits. So someone would have to score five or more of those nine traits to be officially diagnosed as a narcissist. And narcissism is measured on a spectrum. So one of the questions I see quite often is, well, oh, can, that, can the person be cured? Can the person be fixed? Can the person be changed? And my answer always is, well, depends where they are on the spectrum. They score five out of five. Well, they're going to be officially diagnosed as a narcissist Anyway, they score six out of five. Well, the higher up the spectrum they go, the less likelihood of any meaningful change. And have you, wow, that being, have you ever seen any 10 on the spectrum, the 10 out of 10? Well, nine out of nine. Um, oh, nine out of nine, sorry, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure, well, uh, not personally, but I know at the end of the day, that is the criteria. Now, the other problem you have is that a lot of people out there are walking around with undiagnosed uh, personality disorders. And a narcissist is very unlikely to go for a diagnosis anyway, because yep. they think they're super special people and there's nothing wrong with them. So therefore, why would they go to a therapist? The only reason a narcissist will go to a therapist is if they're suffering what they call a narcissistic collapse. Because basically their, their whole world is a, is a fiction. Because narcissism is basically about a mask. So they present a false persona to the world. 
hiding their true selves because I know if someone was to see their true selves, they, the other person would run a mile. So at the end of the day, it's all about what they put out to the world and also what they believe, because some of them actually do believe their own stories, actually believe their own, their own lies. Uh, so if you've got someone who has not been diagnosed, but they have got some traits, and I mean, someone might have, out of the nine traits, someone might score four. So you could argue, well, they're, they're possibly borderline. But in the final analysis, the more traits they score on that test, the more toxic narcissists they will be. Well, one thing we didn't cover before I started talking about the narcissism is mm -hmm. give us an explanation. What is a narcissist for people who may not really know what it actually means? Right. Well, in layman's terms, a narcissist is uh, a child operating in an adult body. <laughs> and there is no definitive answer as to what causes a narcissist to become a narcissist. So some researchers will say um, nature, it's genetics. Some people say it's the environment, how they were brought up. Other people say um, it's due to some type of trauma during childhood. Because effectively you're dealing with someone with emotional arrested development. The emotional arrested development happens between maybe five and seven years old. But on an emotional level, that's where they're stuck. That doesn't mean to say they're not intelligent in terms of IQ. They can be quite high function, have great jobs. They often want great jobs because they are quite happy to use anybody to get where they want to go. Uh, but on an emotional level, you're dealing with an angry, irrational child in an adult body. That is really what it's all about, which is why they can have tantrums. Um, something they call narcissistic rage. Now, narcissistic rage is caused by what they call a narcissistic injury. Uh, narcissists are well known to be very thin-skinned, very sensitive to any type of criticism, whether that criticism be valid or not valid, or even if it's a perceived criticism. Mm -hmm. That causes a narcissistic injury, that, which then leads to narcissistic rage. And really, narcissistic rage for me is just an adult having a toddler tantrum. But when you've got an adult who's raging, shouting, maybe even being violent, well, obviously that can be quite scary. And sometimes they can put on an act of being angry as a way to control the other person. Hmm. You know, seeking to make the other person back down, basically. Yeah. So they're pretty much oblivious and dismissive to other people's thoughts and feelings. They are the center of their own world. They are known to be extremely selfish and also exploitative of other people. In fact, uh, of the nine traits, uh, one of the main traits is extremely exploitative of other people, selfish. I mean, effectively, their relationships, whatever type of relationship it may be, um, are transactional it's what they can get out of it because they see people as objects. They don't see people as people. And because right. one of the other nine traits is a lack of empathy. So if you tie together a lack of empathy with extreme selfishness and 
being quite willing to exploit other people, that's a very dangerous combination. Let alone the other, you know, six traits, if mm. they've got those as well. Yeah. Pretty self, self-absorbed. Very much so. And you see, you have, you have subtypes, subtypes of behavior. So yeah, you've got the nine traits, but um, I don't think off the top of my head that self-absorbed is one of the nine. But they're basically, they're sub, subtype behaviors. So for example, being thin-skinned um, is not necessarily one of the nine traits. Or, you know, uh, but being exploitative, most definitely. And you can see in, in you can see it because when you read or when I read you know various accounts of people who've been involved with narcissists, the stories are all very similar because their behavior is very predictable. Mm. So it doesn't matter if, if they're a overt narcissist, a covert narcissist, or some people call it um, introverted narcissist or whether they're uh, somatic. So somatic means they obtain their attention and praise because of how they look, their body, or they might be cerebral, so they gain attention by their intelligence, as it were. Uh, <clears throat> so they're all different. To me, they're different types of narcissists, and there's different types of behaviours they will exhibit. Uh, but again, as I said before, if they're doing their love bombing correctly to suck their target in, these things are not going to become evident until the person sadly is already involved. And then that's, right. a, that's, a, whole, that's a whole other ball game. The thing, most narcissism, most narcissists, I should say, it's, it's quite difficult because they're very charming and charismatic for the most part. Yeah. And so it's, it's hard because you find yourself getting sucked into that because they have high self-confidence, even if it is a mask for their insecurities, they mm-hmm. are believed to have high self-confidence and their charisma and charm just suck you in. Mm-hmm. But part of narcissism, that's what they do is they suck you in because they bring you in. So basically they can be the alpha, whether it be alpha male, alpha female. Mm-hmm. Does that sound about right? Like Yes. Well, the thing with quite a few abusers, and not just narcissists, you know, you've got psychopaths, you've got sociopaths, etc. But the first thing to remember is that they're very good actors and actresses. That's one. Two, they're very observant. Three, there's a tactic they often use, which is called mirroring. So what they will do, they meet somebody new and they mirror that person. They mirror their values, they mirror their beliefs, they're interested in what they're interested in, et cetera, et cetera. So this is going to sound a little bit strange, but someone who's been subjected to mirroring and then they they fall in love, effectively they're falling in love with themselves because all has happened is the narcissist is, is just mirroring that other person so that they can morph. It's like being a shapeshifter. They can morph into whatever they think the other person wants. So, you know, you like chili, they like chili. You like opera, they like opera. They like horror films. Oh, I like horror films too. I um, had a lady I was supporting a few months ago and she was telling me a story where she would buy a book and be reading it and then 
her husband would buy exactly the same book and they would be sitting there in the living room, both reading the same book, you know, on the same page, discussing the book. But he was, again, a, a perfect example of mirroring. He was just mirroring her. Thankfully, she's left him now. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. good, good for her. Um, yeah, so they've got different tactics on top of obviously the love bombing. Uh, but, you know, but going back to mirroring, it's like, you know, someone can believe oh, I've met my soulmate. They're just like me. They like everything that I like. We share the same values. We share the same beliefs. It's all just an act. It's all just to get the person suckered in, basically. Because as good uh, uh, actors and actresses they may be, no one can keep up an act forever. Eventually that mask is going to fall off. And when the mask falls off, that's when you see the true damaged person that you've been dealing with. Because they are damaged individuals. And people can argue, well, obviously, um, it's not good to judge someone with a mental illness. And I would never judge someone with a mental illness, you, you, but you have to understand that someone with a mental illness, often they're doing harm to themselves. Right. When someone's got a mental illness and they're destroying other people's lives, that's a different ball game. Yeah. You find that narcissists, so, you know, they're charming, they're charismatic, they mirror, in, in my experience and my, um, my knowledge on some narcissism, once that mask has been revealed, it's kind of like fading off, it's falling off. They become more controlling and abusive. Mm -hmm. Try and make you feel like you're small, you're less than. Um, that's part of that control too. They mirror, they become your soulmate. They're just like, they're everything you've been looking for. And next thing you know, you find, wow, where, where did this happen? Where did I get control? Where am I now? I'm being told... You know, they put you down. Not all of them, but this is this is common traits of them. Mm -hmm. They they prey on your emotional aspect and the intimacy of that relationship. It's become you now are becoming less and less and less. And then that's when you're saying it's so hard to get out of later on. It's mm -hmm. so hard to get out of that because now you're emotionally dependent on them. Mm -hmm. There's patterns. There's patterns. And you you talk a lot about that. Mm. Well, at the end of the day, as I said, they are very predictable and they have a very predictable relationship cycle, um, as I mentioned before, which is idealize, then devalue, and then discard. Yeah. Right, so right. during the devaluation phase, that is when they are going to start finding fault with you, uh, often made up faults. They'll just start attacking your self-esteem, um, attacking your self-confidence, suddenly you can't do everything, anything right. And it's quite ironic. The things that they were probably attracted to at the beginning are the very thing they're going to start criticizing you for. Right. You know, and then part of that control issue is uh, I had a guest on, Marcia Hilton, and um, she was saying to me during the interview, oh, when she met um, the narcissist, he loved her long hair. Then she got involved with him and then a few months down the road, oh, I don't really like your hair long. Why don't you cut it? But again, that was a, that was a control tactic. So during the devaluation stage is when you start to get, you get the abuse. And also during the devaluation stage is when they're usually grooming another person to take their partner's place. 
So, again, I often see stories where um, people are saying, how, how did they get involved with somebody else so quickly? How has she met somebody new or involved with somebody new? And it works for, for both genders. But what they don't understand is that that grooming process, they're already grooming somebody else during the devaluation stage. A narcissist is not just going to leave generally and be single. They've got to have somebody. And that's why they're renowned for cheating. They're very well known for, for infidelity. Wow. So during the devaluation stage, they're already looking for somebody else or have already found somebody else and grooming. So when you get from devaluation to discard, when they get rid of the, the partner, they've already got somebody else. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's not a question of, oh, they found somebody new so quickly. They're, they've already found that person. They've already groomed that person. I compare narcissists in relationships to pedophiles, just how a pedophile will groom a, a, a child. Yeah. A narcissist will, will, will groom their next target or their next victim um, because it, it is a grooming process. When you look at the love bombing phase, the beginning, the honeymoon stage, the golden period, that is the grooming stage. That's when they're grooming, when they're giving you the love bombing, the mirroring, etc. Then you go to the um, devaluation stage. Then you go to the discard stage when they basically leave you, if you don't leave them first. And if you leave them first, that's a whole other ball game <laughs> because then you've caused a narcissistic injury. Then they're going to be very angry. Then they're going to try and obviously get you back, go through the Hoover, the Hoover stage. Uh, so even though it can be quite a complicated relationship scenario, but again, their actual patterns are predictable. And it's predictable because they have a particular relationship cycle. Right. Wow. Wow. We can spend hours and hours. Indeed. Narcissism. <laughs> like those nine traits we could break down and mm. we can, you know, and maybe if you're willing, we can have another another episode and break down some of this. Oh, certainly. I mean, I mean, the nine traits are are pretty uh, straightforward. At the end of the day, uh, when you look online, you know, you you will find them. But I'll run them by you very quickly. Uh, let me think. Arrogance and dominance, grandiosity, uh, preoccupation with success and power. They believe they're unique and special. They have a very strong sense of entitlement. Uh, they require excessive admiration. Uh, as I mentioned before, they are very exploitative, uh, envious of others, and assume others are envious of them. And as we spoke about earlier, uh, a lack of empathy. So they, those are the main nine. But, you know, I don't expect you know, um, people to walk around knowing all the nine. But as I said, it's quite easy, to, but it's quite easy to find online. You, know, you just go on Google and put in narcissist nine main traits. You know, very, very easy information to find. But that's just your starter for 10. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, yeah. to, to, coin, to coin the phrase. Um, but at least that gives you a basis to say, well, okay. So if, you, you know, if you're interacting with somebody who seems a little bit overly arrogant or they're always envious of other people or they're always attention seeking um because that that's what a, that's a big red flag so going back to your uh 
question about is there more narcissism now so i mentioned social media so in terms of uh narcissists they are known to need what they call narcissistic supply so narcissistic supply is basically attention doesn't matter if that attention is positive or negative that narcissistic supply can include sex it can include power anything that basically gives them the narcissistic supply and with the internet obviously you a narcissist can get lots of narcissistic supply you know selfies galore plus they can construct an online image of their choosing obviously it's going to be an attractive image obviously um and there has been research done that says that narcissists are more prone to post excessive selfies you know, Instagram. They're, posting, they're posting the selfies obviously to get the likes get get the adoration get the attention which i believe but what i've also noticed though is that um people who've um recently escaped from an abusive relationship they will also post a lot of selfies because they are seeking to get validation often because they've been so distraught and their self-esteem has been so damaged during the abuse being told they're not good enough etc when they escape they're seeking that external validation to say well yeah i am good enough no i am a nice person you know i do look attractive right. so the selfie kind of approach or ideas is not a one size fits all you know i mean i've seen suspected um people i suspect to be narcissists because always get a clue online once i get a clue I'm, i i follow up so i might say so i mean in an interaction someone's a little bit arrogant or they they're trying to emotionally bait me online i think hmm let me go and have a look at their profile on facebook <laughs> quickly and invariably you know i'll find their 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 um their page is, is consists of selfies look at me look at me look at me look at me i've i've seen some facebook pages where a person was posting six or seven selfies in a day so for me that that's a big red flag that's excessive <laughs> just a bit <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I, I'm hoping, Nigel, you know, for the sake of time that um, we could have you back. Oh, certainly. I have so much to talk to you about and we would have to have a mini series on Netflix or something as much as I want. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't. So I hope you do come back and talk to us, but you speak all over the world, virtually and in person. You're on so many different platforms. Like, what you have to offer people are seeking out. So I would like to know what's next, where's what's going on so that people can get a hold of you. You're a life coach. Do you now that everything's virtual, you can coach people who are all over the world. Mm, well, that's kind of like the next step I am looking at. I mean, obviously with the advent of of COVID, obviously a lot of things are done on, online as we are doing now. Uh so my plan really at the moment is get the second book published uh keep going with my podcast 
because that, that's a valuable uh, platform in terms of raising awareness about abuse. I mean, at the moment, I think I've had about 12 different guests who have all been survivors of abusive relationships. So that's um, a good platform. What's the name of your of, podcast so we can uh, tell the people the name of your oh, the pod. Oh, it's called um, Interesting Conversations with Interesting People. So it's available on YouTube, all the usual um, podcasting platforms, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Spreaker. But if someone wanted to find me, they just have to Google um, either my name, Nigel Beckles, Beckles being B-E-C-K-L-E-S, or if they Google author Nigel Beckles, they'll find lots of information. I'm very easy to find online. And I'll have it on the, the um, podcast and on the video podcast. I'll have all of that as well. Okay, thank you. If people want to find you. But yeah, you're, you're busy. You've got your new book coming out. And uh, it's um, How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, A Guide to Toxic Personalities. How yeah. to Avoid Abusive Relationships. I just want to say that over and over so that we know that there is a way. So, Nigel Beckles, How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, A Guide to Toxic Personalities, coming out this year. And while you're waiting for it to come out and be published, you can also go and find his book that is already out. You can go on, um, it's on Amazon. Yep, correct. How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes, because we all make them. I've made, like you said at the beginning, you've made probably all of them. I think mm. too. <laughs> <laughs> still making them ask my husband so how to avoid making those big relationship mistakes we can find that with author nigel beckles so go find his work it's honestly it, it needs to be on all of our bookshelves that we can go and look through and just educate ourselves better ourselves become healthier people so that we can find healthier relationships and i might add we didn't touch on this but healthy relationships abusive relationships they don't only have to be in a romantic setting very true abusive friendship relationships and co whatever that is out there you can take away from these books and, and put it into those situations that you're into and i also want to remind people to go and get that dvd or it's on amazon prime actually too so looking for love it's a an award-winning documentary that nigel participated in um he played himself I know we're in time, but I just want to ask a quick question. How was it working for the director, Menel? Oh my gosh, Menel. Menelik. Menelik Shabazz. <laughs> that took a second. Menelik Shabazz, I know. Yeah. How was it working for him? Fantastic. And in fact, um, when he approached me initially, my first book was, hadn't even been published. But he, he knew of of my work on the book because of the Facebook group I'd started. So when he approached me, um, yeah, the book wasn't, wasn't out, but now we're, we're firm friends. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, yeah and you know, and he's, he has organized events uh, where he's asked me to facilitate workshops because I'm a workshop facilitator as well. So um, yeah, we're, we're great friends now. Um, awesome. Yeah. So it's all worked out well. It's all worked out. Yes, you got the books, you've got the movie, you've got your um, platforms where you are, you support people who are in abusive, who are coming out of abusive, your uh, survivor provider services. So you also reach out to organizations, companies and help them. Um, 
recognize, I suppose. Would that be proper? You help them recognize, mm -hmm. give them information. Yeah. Maybe well, people within their organization who are, who are struggling. Indeed, because, you know, sometimes there can be situations where you might be working with a colleague, for example. Um, I've certainly been through, through that scenario where a lady frequently was coming to work with bruises. Mm. So it was pretty obvious, even if you, even if you were an advocate, that, you know, something's not right here. Right. Um, so it's just knowing kind of like sometimes the, the indicators that someone might be going through an abusive situation and then knowing how to support them. Really. And, and obviously the first, the, the first thing is not to be judgmental. Right. Basically, because, you know, contrary to popular belief, many people can get involved in abusive relationships. So, you know, when I hear people say, oh, that could never happen to me. Oh, I always say mm. never say never. That's right. Because as you said about the, the frog story, you know, and abusive relationships are very uh, insidious. So the frog story is, you know, if you drop a frog into a cold pot of water and heat it up, very slowly. Very slowly, yeah. One cooked frog. And they you, don't even know that they're cooking. Cook, yeah, and that's the same as an abusive relationship. You, know, you don't really know you're in it until it's often too late. Yeah. And yeah. then you've got to figure out your exit strategy to get out of it. Yeah. Well, Nigel Beckles, I'm so honored that you took your time. I, you are such a busy man. I think every day you have people knocking on your door. <laughs> after interview sometimes like three four a day i think mm. you have a lot going on so that you took the time out for this i'm so grateful i'm so humbled by this and how to avoid making the relationship mistakes how to avoid abusive relationships a guide to toxic personalities people go out and get it his podcast interesting conversations with interesting people he's he's just everywhere right now <laughs> I mean, you just Google the name and you're going to see them everywhere. So thank you. You've taught us a lot. I hope that you do. And I'm being serious that we can do this again and, and talk about other things. Talk about your book when it comes out um, this year. So thank you for taking the time, Nigel. I really appreciate this. Oh, thank you for having me. Much appreciated. So thank you, my listeners. As always, you know, I appreciate you so much that you tune in each and every week. Don't forget, like, share, follow, tweet, phone someone, send a pigeon, whatever it might be. Just make sure you're telling everybody that they should be listening to This Is Your City. Stay safe and stay blessed. Ciao.